you have a Bible, uh, turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12 is what we're going to look at um, this morning. Also can really, uh, later on I guess, I don't want to bog us down too much, but we'll be in a, another passage as well um, in, a, in a few minutes. But <clears throat> when you think about what God has done in our lives, we really should be mesmerized, amazed when we sing these songs about who He is. And I hope that that's the case for you. I know for me, um, it's, it's just a, a wonder to think of like, man, some of the writers who write these songs and what was going through their mind as they're writing these songs. And so many of the songs that we sing are from Scripture. And so I love, I love to sing uh, together. So hope we're going to be praying. One of your other prayer requests, pray for worship leader, someone to, to come alongside and, and uh, lead us in worship um, each week. And so we're thankful for, uh, for that. So if you have a Bible, Genesis chapter 12, um, we started a, a new series last week um, called Living Scent. And we're going to look actually kind of like a, a little bit of a thread throughout Scripture. And we started uh, looking at that thread last week in Genesis 3, where we see that really the journey of this idea of being of living scent, this journey really all begins. And we see the beginning stages of a life of sending. Um, Adam and Eve are sent out of the garden and actually not in a positive way, but actually in a negative way. I mean, they've, because of their sin, they're sent out. But right before they're sent out, we're told of this really this first gospel in Genesis 3, and we see this curse um, because of their sin, and we see the effects of that, that there's going to be difficulty in life. We already see that. We looked at that. We even talked further. We kind of fleshed that out a little bit more on Thursday of seeing what that effect of sin does to homes, to marriages, to relationships, to our relationship with God, to relationship with others. It brings disunity. It, t- it makes, takes brokenness. And so now because of sin, the world is broken. It's, itself is broken. Like the things of this world are decaying. Uh, we can just look at that and we see the effects of that. But in this curse that we saw last week, and, and we see specifically, though, there's a curse, but in that curse is actually a great promise. It's the first gospel. And we see that even in this curse, we're given a foretaste of things to come, that one day God was going to send an offspring of Eve who would give a death blow to Satan. And so, in Jesus, and so even in Jesus' high priestly prayer, um, I would encourage you to read it, John chapter 17, and not, not this moment, but in John 17, uh, we, we get in verse 18, this amazing statement. Really, this is the, really the theme. I want to be one of the themes of the church, um, but specifically it's the theme kind of of this um, series is where Jesus says in John 17, 18, he says, as you sent me into the world, he's praying as again, it's the high priestly prayer. He's praying to the father, but he's praying on behalf of his followers. He's praying them. And in this prayer, he says, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them, talking about the disciples and all followers ultimately of Jesus into the world. So he says, as you have sent me into the world, as Jesus was sent to earth to bring redemption and hope and life and salvation to people who would follow and put their trust in him. He says, I'm also giving the mission of you. I'm going to send out just as you have sent me. I'm going to send out my followers, these disciples into the world. And so as followers of Jesus, we are sent and we're, we're, we're to live sent uh, with a specific purpose to follow Jesus and make him known. And so that brings us to our next look. So we looked at Genesis 3 last week 
And then uh, this morning, I want us to look at this call of Abraham in uh, Abram in verse in chapter twelve. And so, ultimately, though, when, to really give us a little bit of background, really quickly on Abraham and or Abram here, and we're going to find out his name is eventually going to be changed to Abraham. But really, this is remarkable to me to think about this: that three major faiths, three major religions, which actually, when you combine those three major religions, they encompass over half of the world. Over half of the world in these three different religions put their focus and they really look to the beginning of their, uh, really their existence and they look at the life of Abraham. Uh, these three major faiths look to Abraham as the father of their faith. Judaism, Christianity, and Islam all point to Abraham. Abraham takes a bulk of the scriptures, actually. He is referenced really probably besides Jesus. He's probably the, the, the second highest figure that you can see throughout the thread of scripture. You see, I mean, think about this. I mean, think about this. The first 11 chapters of the Bible encompass from creation to the Noah, the story of Noah, and then to Babel. We're going to just look at that just a second. Um, I mean, 11 chapters covers probably about 2,000 years of time. And then we come to Abraham, and he's going to take over, and his family, basically his direct family, is going to take over almost the rest of Genesis. So we're talking about a bulk of it is focused really on Abraham and his life and his, his family. And then we see this in, throughout Scripture. We know in Matthew, Matthew in Matthew chapter 1, the lineage is Matthew's trying to show the, the kingly line of Jesus. He's going to point that he goes all the way back to who? He goes back to Abraham. In the New Testament, uh, Paul references and he spends chapters, a whole chapter in Romans is dedicated to Abraham and his faith. Uh, Hebrews 11, pointing to faith, they all point back to Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Galatians, all these different books in the New Testament point to this man. And so he's important, I would say, I would encourage you, it'll be a, if you ever do like a Bible study on certain characters in the Bible, Abraham would be a great study for you to see. But what we're going to see is I mean, he wasn't perfect. I mean, he's going to be the example of faith that we see throughout the New Testament as well. But he was also an example of failure too. I mean, it, wasn't, it, was, it was flawed just like every other human being uh, outside of Christ who's the son of God. Um, and so all these different religions, he's a big part of the story. And really the story of Abram's life uh, begins in chapter 11. And so most people, when you're reading chapter 11, you know, like in your Bible reading plan at the beginning of the year, like I say uh, often, um, you know, you get to some of those sections like Shem's descendants and it's just all these descendants and you're like, okay, why am I even reading all these names, Eber and Shela and however you say Archipsex dad or something like that. I don't even know how to say some of these names. And so you've got all these different names and you kind of just miss out on those things. But really the first time we get a glimpse of who Abram is, it begins in chapter 11 and you see the Tower of Babel. And the Tower of Babel was uh, constructed. I mean, most of us have probably heard that story before, the Tower of Babel and the confusion of the languages. They all had one language. But remember, why did they uh, construct the Tower of Babel? Do you remember why? Remember in Scripture, in chapter 11, we're actually told uh, in verse um, 4, so they, they want to build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves. And so they want to make a name for themselves and they are trying to be like the gods and all these different things. And so they erect, they try to erect this tower and then God confuses their language. The tower construction can't function. It can't happen. And eventually we're told in chapter 11 that really now there's only this one family and it's the descendants of Shem uh, that you see in verse uh, 10. 
these are the generations of Shem. So then we look specifically at this one family, Shem. And then throughout that, and you read, if you read through, you'll see all the different descendants, and you'll see the years that are happening even. I mean, the years are flying by. We're talking about another <laughs> several hundred years uh, of time are going through as we look at these stories. And then we eventually come to Terah, who had lived 70 years. And it says in verse 26, so chapter 11, verse 26, when Terah had lived 70 years, he fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. So he fathers, Terah fathers these three uh, children. And it tells us that now these are the generations, verse 27 of chapter 11. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. And then it tells us, Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur. That's the first time we get a look at kind of, okay, where are they? They're in Ur of the Chaldeans. And so Ur if you've done anything, you might have heard some of this before, but back in the 30s and 40s, the 19th, I mean the 19th century, so not, not that long ago, um, through probably your grandparents' uh, lives, was a great find was happening where this man unearthed uh, this area of Ur, Mesopotamia area, and discovered artifacts and all these things of this place. And so we get to know a lot more about um, the idolatry of these people. Um, they, uh, they worshiped a moon god, and we actually know, sadly, we know the effects of that because that is exactly what uh, Terah uh, means. And so Terah, the father of Abram. And so then it tells us in verse 29, Abram and Nahor took wives, and the name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. And it says this in verse 30, now Sarai was barren and she had no child. And so Abram, the first time we get a, a glimpse at who Abram is, we find out he's married to Sarai, and we're told that she's barren. The, and, but the interesting thing to note is that Abram, the name Abram means father. <laughs> but when we are introduced to him, he's 75 years old and he's childless. I mean, can you imagine, like, you know, like some people get made fun of for their name. I'm wondering, like, would he have been made fun of? Like, man, you're named father and you can't even father any children. And so here he's not able to have any children. And this is who we were introduced to him, and we kind of get this glimpse. And so I want us to look at this call. This is the Abrahamic covenant, this great covenant that we see its effects on the rest of history uh, from this call of Abram here in chapter 12, verse 1. So look at it together. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and in him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Did you see all those statements? Did you, I mean, I, I, I've, I've, it stands out to me because I circled them a long time ago in a Bible reading plan at some point, but do you see all those I will statements there? I mean, look at verse, starting even in just verse 1, towards the middle, you see, so God says, go from your country. So he gives a command to Abram. I want you to go from your country. I mean, this is the first time that we're, I mean, so think about all the time that's elapsed since Noah. Noah was the last person that we know of that God spoke to directly. And so now, hundreds of years later, this is the next time we get God speaking to someone. And it's Abram. And, and notice this about Abram. There's nothing, there's nothing special about him. We're going to find out that he believed God and it counted him righteousness. He's gonna, we're going to see that he actually goes when God calls him to. But I mean, he's just this random guy. 
totally random guy from this family of Shem from the Tower of Babel. We know nothing about his belief. We know actually his family, meaning again, because they would take on the names of the gods and the idolatry of the culture oftentimes. And his dad's name being Terah, being again, the moon god and that being a reference to his name. We see that it's even in, infiltrated him and this area of Ur was a very, I mean, there was, there was human sacrifices. When they, when they unearthed uh, back in the 90s, 1930s and 40s, when they were unearthing uh, this, they were seeing some of the, 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 uh, the intricacies of this, but they could tell that there was some human sacrifice, the way they were setting up some of the different things. And it's like, I don't know how they do that with that kind of stuff. I have no clue. I'm just going off of the archaeologists and what they say, I guess. So I don't really know. But, but as they do this, we get to understand the, the culture of the people. I mean, these people were, I mean, think about it. I mean, from Noah, I mean, before, from Genesis 3, the fall of man, to quickly we get to Noah. I mean, there's no one who's following after God. There's literally, there was Noah. And not even his family. His family got to enjoy the benefits of Noah believing in God and putting his trust in God. And his family gets on the ark with him. But they only got on the ark with him because of him, not because of them. So he's literally it. And then after that, we see his family's a mess too. They're getting Noah drunk and all these things, and we see the effects of that sin leading to the story of Babel. I mean, sin's effects are extreme. Sin's effect on your life and in my life is extreme, and we're not very careful. And so we see this effect of sin. And so Abram is just this, <clears throat> excuse me, he's just this, this guy, this figure that we know nothing about, but God, in his wisdom and his sovereignty, says, you're going to be the one. He chooses him out of all the people of the world. Again, when you look at who God is, uh, when you see who He uses, it's not the people who have it all cleaned together and act together even. He calls them out of where they are sometimes, but He just goes after them. And here, randomly even, it seems, He goes, now the Lord said to Abram. I mean, I wonder what that was like. It's like, what was He doing? Like, what was going on? And Abram, all of a sudden, this voice of the Lord comes and says, and the first thing out of the Lord's mouth is, Go from your country and your kindred. And so the first word God speaks to someone since Noah is right here. And he says, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land, notice this, that I will show you. But you know what we learn from Hebrews 11? In Hebrews 11 and other places in scripture, we know that, I mean, Abraham didn't even get to fully experience most of the things, most of the blessings that we're going to see in this, in this state, in this little few verses, these four verses, most of them he didn't even get to personally, physically experience uh, in his lifetime. But here's, what I, here's a few points I really want to pull from this story uh, to really challenge us as a, as a church, as individuals, specifically as we think of church planting and living sin. There's a couple of principles. One is this. God never pulls you in. So he never pulls you in, calls you to himself without also sending you out. Like he calls you in. So it's the idea of he blesses you to be a blessing. He calls you in, he brings you into relationship, but he doesn't just say, hey, hang out here. He sends you. Yes, he wants you to worship him. I mean, we can look at Mary and Magdalene and the idea of worshiping and sitting at Jesus' feet while he's in here, right? Like while he's there, we're to worship him. We are to worship him. We gather to do that, to worship. But what God does when he calls people to himself he calls them to then send them. And I mean, we can, we can point to a bunch of scripture passages on this. And um, think about this. We see these similar calls in scripture. 
when Moses was confronted with the glory of God, when he got to experience who God is, what does he do? He calls him to go to Pharaoh. I want you to go to um, my people. I hear the cries of my people. Again, where did these people come from? They came from Abraham, this one man, this, this, this nation that became millions of people in slavery in Egypt. And now God hears the cries of his people because he chose them, because he chose Abraham. And he's chosen to bless them as we see this blessing here. But Moses is confronted with the glory of God. He's confronted. God confronts him. He goes to him. But then what does he do? He doesn't keep him close. He sends him. He wants you, I want you to go. Think of Isaiah, right? The amazing story of Isaiah in the throne room of God. What happens with him? He's confronted with the glory of God when he got to really see who God is. And that's what I mean. I'm trying to emphasize that aspect of like when you really see who God is, when God calls you to himself and you experience his presence, you don't stay the same. I mean, think about it. What, what, what happens to Isaiah? As soon as he's confronted with the holiness of God, what does he say? He says, I am a man of unclean lips. I am undone. He literally feels undressed. Like I have been totally exposed. My sin is bare in front of you and I feel very guilty and very shamed. And But what God does, he takes the coal, right? The angel puts the coal on his lips and to, the, the symbolism of purity and purifying him. And then what happens, right? God pulls him in. And then what does he do? He says, I've got a task for you. I want you to be a prophet for me. And you're going to go for me and speak on my behalf. And then what, does, what is Isaiah's response? What does he say? He's like, hey, here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. And specifically, notice there's, I mean, Paul. How does Paul, what happens to Paul? Paul is confronted. He is opposed to the gospel. I mean, there's nothing in Paul even. He shouldn't be chosen. Why him? He's actually opposed to God. He is a persecutor of Christians. He's passionate about Judaism. He's passionate about God, but he doesn't understand the gospel. He doesn't understand who Jesus is, that he was actually the Messiah. But what does God do? He confronts him. He approaches him. He calls him out. And then what is Paul's response? He goes. And he goes and he's a missionary to all over the world. Greatest missionary that we've ever known. But I want us to look specifically. Look at Luke chapter 5. Turn to Luke 5. This is where you really see this idea of God never pulls you in without sin, for, with all, also sending you out. Look at um, Luke chapter 5, <clears throat> the call of the disciples here. This is uh, really amazing uh, to see how this works, um, how God, when He really gets your heart, it changes you. Look at chapter 5. I want to read actually this story. I'll just read it. He says in verse 1, Luke 5, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, with which was Simon's, so Simon Peter, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. I mean, Master, I get it. You're amazing. You, you teach unbelievably. I've seen you do these different things. But we're fishermen. <laughs> like, we know how this works. And we have toiled all night, caught nothing. We put out, and then he says, uh, and when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, so put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. Because he understood who God, I mean, he was starting to grasp who Jesus was. He's getting a picture of who he is, but he still doesn't yet know it. He doesn't understand. He doesn't yet believe in who he really is. And we're going to find out, I mean, Peter's going to make the great confession, right? I mean, he says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Later on, when Jesus says, 
who do you say that I am? But here before that, look at verse 6. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, notice this, look at his response. Similar to Isaiah, similar to others. He goes, but when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man. What made him say that? Why is he going like, man, I'm a sinful person. Like confronted with who, like he get to see it. He got to see it like he saw for the first time for some reason, God had, Jesus chose to get in his boat that day. He was chasing after Peter. He's calling Peter to himself. He gets in the boat with him. And then he tells him, hey, go out and let's cast the nets on the other side. And sure enough, they do that. And what's Peter's response? Man, he's blown away. Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. Sounds a lot like Isaiah. For he, for, notice this, verse 9. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to them, notice this. Here he is. He's pulling them in. He's pulled them in tight. He's saying, okay, come to me. I'm fo- come follow me. He's bringing them in. But notice what he says. And so also were James and John, the son of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their nets to land, they left everything and followed him. You see how that works? God brings you in. He says, I'm blessing you. He's pouring out his blessing on you by saying, come to me. Come to me. We, we've looked at passages like this. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest for your souls. He's saying, come. He's bringing you in, but he doesn't bring you in to say, okay, sit right here. Or, or even a church together. Come, church, together. Gather together, and let's just stay here a while. Let's just hang out here, and let's just sing songs about Jesus the whole time. No, Jesus, he brings you in. He calls you in. He pulls you into himself. But then he does that to then send you out. He says, here's my mission for you. So listen, this is why we say at Redeemer, like one of our taglines we're saying is, follow Jesus, make him known. You follow him, you come in to him, you experience relationship with him, but it's not a relationship to just experience and hold on to yourself. It's public. It's, it's going. And so here, God never pulls you in without sending you out. But here's, here's the reality of this. This is also kind of scary too, is, um, is really this, uh, this second thing. He's like, to be a blessing, okay? So I'm going to send you out, but to send you out, you have to respond. You have to go. Like, like I'm, I'm bringing you in and I want to send you out, but here's the thing. We have to make the point to follow and then to go follow what he's calling us to do. We have to make the commitment. We have to be like, okay, God, I'll do what you say. I mean, look at, going back at, at uh, Genesis chapter 12, I mean, look at his response. Abraham's, Abraham's response, or Abram at this point, his response, <clears throat> I mean, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and in whom who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Verse four. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. You see, Abram had to make the choice to go. So if you want to be a blessing, okay, so if you've experienced the blessing of God, God has 
shown himself. He has revealed himself to you through his spirit. And you have, your eyes have been opened to your desperate need of salvation. And you come to him. You experience relationship with him. But that relationship is, is always with a mission in mind to be sent out. And here we see, though, to, to be that blessing, to join in on that mission, we have to go. But the problem is that comes with great cost. He says, go, but he's telling him to go from your country, from your kindred, from your father's house to a land that I will show you. Basically, Calvin, I think it's John Calvin who said, he put it this way. He's like, God just put blinders on him and said, all right, come follow me. And he's got blinders on, doesn't know where he's going, have no idea where God's going to take me, but I'm going to say, okay, God, sure, I'll go. I mean, can you imagine most people doing that? Like, I don't know how many of you are getting in a car if someone put the blindfold on you. Even if they're, even if they're family, you're like, all right, I don't know. I don't, it's like an un, uneasy feeling. Like, what am I what's about to happen to me? About to be thrown into a pool or something? I don't know. Like, is there going to be a, I, I don't know, I hate surprise parties. Like, is there going to be a bunch of people that show up? It's going to scare me to death, you know? I don't know. But, <clears throat> but here, it's like God puts, in a sense, he's saying, okay, listen, it's going to cost you. I mean, think about this, the strong statement, some of the strongest statements in Scripture in, in the book of Matthew, in the Gospels. We've been reading uh, in a Bible reading plan several of the guys through Matthew. And in Matthew 10, we read this recently, 10, 32 through 33, whoever acknowledges me before me, uh, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. Whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. You see, if you're going to follow Jesus, you have to go public. You have to go public with it. Baptism, I mean, think about it. the first step of obedience after salvation, after putting your faith in Christ is what? It's baptism, right? It's this public display. It symbolizes an inner transformation that happens in your heart of putting your faith and in, in, in trust in Christ, but it's a public display of an inner belief in Christ. It's going public with it. But in being a blessing, it also costs you. You know, for instance, you let your co-workers know you are a follower of Jesus. You may be treated differently. You let family know, and you may be disowned. I mean, I, I think I've shared with you before of um, one of the pastors at Calvary who was Indian and who grew up Hindu. Um, when, he, when he put his faith and trust in Christ, his parents, they disowned him. Others of you might know other people who, I mean, like the hostility it brought from going from maybe Catholicism even to being a, a follower of Jesus, <clears throat> believing and the gospel is the only way for salvation and not works. You can see how that can bring disunity and it can bring hostility uh, in a home. And so you may be even persecuted. I mean, this is basically the example of all the disciples. They were persecuted. Um, in, Mark, <clears throat> in Mark 10, we're given some of this, again, some even more strong language. One of Jesus' hardest sayings is that anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. But then here's the cool thing. He says that. Like, he says that, which is super hard to hear. Super hard to hear. You're saying, God, I have to love you more than anything in this world. If I'm going to follow you, I have to, I have to be willing to give up all of these things for you. Yeah, the answer is absolutely yes. But here's what's incredible. Mark 10, 29. So before that... Uh, Jesus also says, no one, has, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in the present age. You know, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, and with them persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. 
He offers blessing as well. Even at cost, there's blessing. Listen, it is, it is a genuine cost to follow Jesus. It's, we can't just sit on the sidelines and just be like, okay, I'm just going to... Like, <clears throat> when, what you're seeing in all the stories, Isaiah, Moses, Abraham, Paul, Peter, the disciples, what you see is a willingness to immediately leave behind their past, even if it's a good thing to go. He says, go at, at whatever cost. And that's exactly what Abraham did. He's like, okay, what I know, what I'm familiar with, what I know, the blessing of this land, all these things. But here's the cool thing. He says, he says all these I wills in that. So he's, he's calling him away from this, but he also says, but here's what I'll do. I'm going to take you to a land that I will show you. I will make of your name, make of you a great nation. And I'm sure Abraham's going like, I mean, I'm 75. My wife is barren. We can't have kids. How am I going to be a nation if I can't even have a child? How is this, how is this blessing really going to happen? I will bless those who bless you and in him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. How in the world is, I mean, like, can you think what going through Abram's mind? Like, how in the world is the world going to be blessed through me? I'm a nobody. I'm just hanging out here with all my family in Haran. What, is, what do I have to do with this bigger story? Here's the thing. God wants to use you in the bigger story of redemption. That's what he does in the Great Commission when he says, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. Man, I, I really, I want you to understand this. What Abraham was asked to do and did falteringly, he wasn't perfect through ups and downs. Jesus would one day do perfectly. What Abraham couldn't do perfectly with some errors along the way, some missteps and some lack of faith, Jesus comes and he does it exactly perfectly. He comes, he leaves his throne. We were talking about this beholding God on his throne. He comes and he takes that status and he lowers himself. He humbles himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so he comes and he models this perfectly. He comes and he leaves his throne in heaven to come down to a sinful, broken, messed up world and to live amongst brokenness, to have his heart broken as a human being part of him, like as he's fully God and fully man, the fully man part of him, when he experiences the loss of a loved one. He weeps over Lazarus' death. He looks at the crowds and sees the brokenness and it breaks his heart because he gets to experience the brokenness. This perfect, holy God comes down to earth. And listen, here's the thing is if you understand that the, the, the one calling you to follow him, this one, the one, Jesus, the one calling you to follow him is the one who left everything for you, you'll have the courage to leave it all for him. Like, you'll have courage to say, okay, God, I'll leave whatever it costs. I'll leave whatever is behind. I will go wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. And, this, and listen, this does not mean, I mean, yes, it does mean to some to literally pick up, like, as, as we have family doing this right now, like, excuse me, selling all their possessions, getting rid of them all to go. Like, yes, God does that sometimes in our lives and it hurts and it's painful and it's hard. But, but also God says, do it right now where you are. Like here, like live sent, live in the community God has put us in for his glory, for his name's sake, to make him known. So when you go through a walk in your neighborhood, it's not just a, a, a joyful exercise of just, getting out with your family, look at it as an opportunity. Maybe I'm going to cross paths. So when you go on that walk with family, maybe pause to pray and say, God, put someone in our path on this walk so that we can make you and display you, make you known to this community. 
So when you have a conversation with your neighbor, it's not just a, hey man, what, did you catch the Alabama game last night? It's not just that, it's more. You, you find ways to take it deeper. And so, and it might cost you relationships. It might cost you being shunned by your neighbors. I don't know what it will cost you, but I know it's what we're called to do because God, as we're saying this morning, He blesses us to then be a blessing. God has given you financial resources. He's given you wisdom. He's given you abilities to do the job that you have, but he's given you all those talents to be a blessing to others. I mean, in scripture, it's not the person who was, who gets, who gets praised. This woman who had like two mites, that's it. She's gave, he, and Jesus says he, she gave way more than all these others because it cost her everything. But it wasn't significant. It was just this little bit of money. But what is it God that called us? I mean, are, are we just, I don't know, are we just going through life easy, comfortable. Because here's what we see in scripture. When God pulls you in, he doesn't pull you in and you can't, you can't leave unchanged. Like if God's spirit is exploding inside of you, as he's opening your eyes to the gospel, it's not like, all right, well, let me go back to my consumer lifestyle. No, it changes you. It changes you to, it changes perspective. It changes a view on life. It changes who you are, it changes what you choose to do, what you do. Now, what, what I'm, don't, don't miss this. What I'm not saying is that, man, man, life just is supposed to be not enjoyable. No, we, we see that joy comes in Christ. Like there is joy and, and God gives us this life to live and to enjoy as well. I don't mean like you like, are a person who's literally, I'm gonna live with nothing and I'm gonna have nothing and I'm not gonna go do anything. Like even this afternoon, I'm gonna go play golf. Like I'm like, man, I shouldn't have done that. Like, I mean, maybe I'll feel guilty. I don't know. But my point is this, is you can enjoy life, but if I enjoy life just for the sake of me, then I'm missing the point. Because God pulls you in and he says, I want you to live sin. I'm going to send you out. I'm going to use you for a specific purpose. Yes, Abraham, and specifically for Abraham, this is unique. This is a unique blessing. But that blessing is passed down to the Israelites and all his his descendants, and then we find out in the New Testament to all those who put their faith in Christ like Abraham get to enjoy the blessings of Abraham as well. And so I want to just encourage you, be a blessing. You know, you have been blessed by God to be a blessing, all right? So let me pray um, for us. Help God. Help, I want God to help us uh, to live this out so desperately so that we can be a great witness to this community uh, and, and really change the world. So let me pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. Thank you for your calling uh, on people. We see all these different characters in the scriptures who are called out. But also, God, we see that like, there's these people that you use. They're just people. They're ordinary people. There's nothing special or unique. The only thing that makes them special is because you. You make us special. <laughs> you change us. You transform us. You speak through us. And so, God, help us to be a light in this community. Help us to live sent. Help us to live in a way that as you draw us in, as you bless us, as you have blessed us immensely, help us to also then in turn be a blessing. Help us not to hold on to your blessings. May we bless others. Maybe that's financially of giving and supporting the cause of Christ in our community through this church and through other avenues, um, through our sacrifice, our willingness to get to know our neighbors. Help us to use our work, even uh, the gifts that you've given us, the talents, the resources, the abilities to use those to be a blessing to those around us. So help us to live in that way. We love you. We thank you for um, the challenge of your word. God, it is convicting. Um, convicts my heart because God, it, it's so 
easy to live so selfishly and self-centered and to be just a consumer. Uh, Father, help us to be contributors. Help us to be people who um, genuinely get to, to know you more. And as we know you more, as we come and you're drawn in to you, God, we, we pray that as you send us out, as you say go, uh, that we would uh, be willing to go. Go wherever you send us and do whatever you call us to do. Help us to be obedient. Uh, and we ask all this in your son's name. Amen.